Hey everybody, welcome back to the Clean Slate Farm Podcast. Thanks for downloading this episode. Today we're going to be talking with Dave Iancello. Dave is with the Syracuse Salt Company. He and his daughter Libby own a company and they make salt. And for the first time in many, many, many years, over 100 years, they are producing salt from the brine wells and the brine aquifer underneath the city of Syracuse. First, a couple of words about salt. Did you know that the Roman legions were paid in salt? And from that, we get the word salary. Also, the word salad, that comes from the Greek sal, for salt. And finally, Mahatma Gandhi in 1930 started the March to the Sea to create salt in protest of the British salt tax on the Indian people. We all know where that led. Anyway, let's listen to the podcast and the interview with Dave Iancello from Syracuse Salt Company. I think you're going to find this pretty interesting. Thanks. Hey, Dave, how you doing? Good, Dave. How are you? Very good. This is like the Dave and Dave show, like pizza pizza. Yeah, <laughs> we got to do a radio. We got to do a radio show. Yeah, we should do a radio show. Hey, let's do that. Uh, let's talk about uh, your company, Syracuse Salt Company. Uh, tell me a little bit more about Syracuse Salt. Okay, yeah, I'd, I'd love to. Um, we're in our fourth year now, and um, my daughter and I started this as a way to. Um, stay connected to food and uh she was on her honeymoon in maine and went to a little shop it, it was mostly sea salts and she brought three of them back for me as a as a gift and it was smoked salt truffle things like that and i said this is pretty neat you know we're in the salt city and syracuse was built on salt this is a cool thing and I was also at the same time looking for something else to do. I was working in, in Geneva at Hobart Wing Smith Colleges as a grounds manager, and that drive was really difficult every day. Yeah, that, that's kind of a so hole. I was looking to, yeah, it was it was an hour and a half each way on the road, and you know, and my my job wasn't satisfying me in a lot of ways anyway. At that point, you know, my creativity was kind of lacking. I, I I couldn't create the things I was used to creating in landscape that that I did when I first started. So I was looking for something to do. And uh, I said, so what do you think about this? And she said, well, okay. So we looked into it, took us a little while and, um, and then started pretty much uh, repackaging sea salts, uh, flavored sea salts or infused sea salts from another company, Mm -hmm. a large wholesaler out in the Pacific Northwest. And, you know, we would buy in bulk, you know, 50-pound bags, and then we would put them in smaller jars. And then from there, we moved on to start creating some of our own infused varieties. Instead of buying and repackaging, we'll say, you know, let's go, let's be a little more creative. And we started making some of our own. Mm -hmm. So that's how it kind of all started. Cool. So four years ago, and now you're making your own salts rather than buying, a lot of your own salts rather than buying. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, we're we're playing a little bit. We've, we've probably made twice as many as we're actually sticking with, but (laughs) just because you, you know, as you know, the experimentation process, you you play with different things and see how it works. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, We do the same thing with vinegars here. Yeah. Yeah. So we're trying to do more and more of it, um, more and more of our own infusions. And, you know, it's interesting to me was I wanted this to be something that, you know, chefs would be interested in and, and home cooks, but as much in a kitchen. And then started realizing that chefs will do this on their own. They'll make their own stuff and they'll use regular 
you know, stuff like truffle, for instance. You know, they'll they'll use truffle oil in cooking. Right. They don't need truffle salt. They put the salt separate the truffle. Same thing with you know, some of the other things. Mm-hmm. So, I've been out of the kitchen for a long time. So I at least the commercial type things. So I didn't really think about that until later. So it turned into be more of a gift item for home chefs, and for you know, for people at home that want to not go out and buy that truffle oil for whatever it costs and use three ounces and let it sit in a shelf for two years. Right. So this is an easy way to, to, to work on some of their own foods and, and enhance the flavor without having to be in a commercial type kitchen. Um, so I said, Hey, that's okay. You know, as long as people can eat better and enjoy their flavors and cook at home, that's great. We'll do yeah. it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to admit we use your salts here. Uh, my favorite is your Merlot salt. Uh, but we've got Mm -hmm. your your garlic and two others. I can't remember what they were. And I thought, you know, I could make this. And I thought, why would I make this? Because it's a process. It's not an easy thing to do. (laughs) You know, like I've got no time to do that anyway with everything else I've got going on. So yeah, if you're doing it, if you're if you're not going to use it every day or do forty dishes in an evening, then yeah, it's a little more it's a little more intense. Exactly, you know, yeah. But, because of the process, it yeah. is a process. Yeah, commercially, a chef could do that, but then they, I guess, they would run into the you know the labor cost thing. You got somebody; it's another item they have to prep and get ready, and so. But so, what are your products? You have more than just like seasoned salts. What, what do you have? Well, for our for our uh, infused salts, we have uh, 17, 18 of them right now. Uh, we smoked salt, ghost pepper, lemon, garlic. You know, it's a roasted garlic, rosemary, right. sriracha, ginger, and then you know what we're starting to make more and more is our Finger Lakes wine salt. So we get wine from the Finger Lakes, different different red wines, dry red wines from the Finger Lakes. We make a wine salt, so we infuse a um, we infuse salt with that. Uh, lemon rose, so we have lemon peel, lemon juice, along with some rose petals. Lavender, um, espresso, the Merlot as you mentioned. Um, lavender is you know we we're working on a local source now, but um, lavender flowers, and we grind them up and we mix it in with salt. And I, I, this last batch, I added a little lemon too. To try to to try to brighten up the flavor a little bit, mm-hmm. and the espresso is is coffee. So we you know we we make a you know five gallons of coffee from uh, simple roast coffee over in, in Auburn, mm-hmm. and uh, cook it down and do a syrup, and then then infuse the salt with that. And it's that's becoming one of my favorites actually because it's a little more fun to play with. Yeah. And then you know hoppy hoppy lime. We've got some hops from a from a grower in Branchport. Over oh, that's Port a neat Kenya. idea. Yeah, and you know, again with the, with beer, you know, so many different craft beers around, and and hops are kind of an interesting plant, being that, that this is another thing that was grown in central New York and in New York in general, you know, a century ago was was one of the huge um, products grown here, agricultural products grown here, and then it kind of went away when the disease hit hops, so it's it's making a, a pretty big comeback. So so we get some organic hops from. Uh, from Branchport, and, and then we mix in a little lime and, and uh, make a hoppy lime. You, you, you got to like hops to, to yeah, really yeah. Hops salt. adds kind of a uh, I'm going to say a, a bitterness, but yeah, that sounds it does good. add a bitterness, and that, that yeah, that's the that's the challenge with 
with the hops, it does add a bitterness. Interestingly enough, again, salt takes bitterness out of food. Right. So when you taste when you when you when you taste things with salt in it, it takes away some of that bitterness. I don't know if it tricks our brain or what it does. Yeah. So, uh, but I I did put too much hops in one time as I was experimenting, and I found out, oh, I guess I can make this bitter. <laughs> uh, so I pull back a little bit, but you know, it's something like a potato or corn. You know, something that's a little starchy, the hop, the hoppy on popcorn, even mm-hmm. um, that hoppy lime really comes out. That hops come out really nicely with that. So I kind of like it. Yeah, that's neat. And yeah. then we do a bunch of different, different Himalayan products too. Mm-hmm. You know, we have little salt cellars that you put salt in next to your, next to your, or on a table or next to your stove and night lights and lamps and slabs. Yep. Cooking slabs. Yeah. So. Uh, so, so we'll yeah, talk. We, we'll talk about some... slabs in a second because I need to know more about that. Okay, because that, that's pretty cool. But, yeah. So it you is. started a small business, and what were the challenges you had for starting a small business? Did you did you have certification, licensing things you had to do, like through Cornell and anything like that? Yes, with uh, with a food business, in order to sell online, you have to be certified with 20C certification through Ag and Markets, right. New York State. Um, so we, again, we, we knew this, but we didn't realize all the details of it until we got into it. So finding that out, um, we actually went online, started selling products, and then went through the certification, and we were told by the state you shouldn't be selling online we looked you up and you're selling online you're not allowed to so we shut that down shut the website down and and rented a kitchen uh, for two-year certification we have to you have to be in a certified kitchen and the state has regulations on what that is so in order to sell i mean everybody anybody can start a website um, and you can you know you can get on squarespace or shopify or any of those and and start a website and start selling online. But for food, because you're crossing state lines especially, mm-hmm. you need certification. You need to follow that certification. And they do check, uh, yeah. as I found out. Uh, mm-hmm. Not a difficult thing to do. There are, enough, there are a number of community kitchens around or, or other kitchens that people are using that they don't use all the time. So it wasn't difficult, but it you know costs a little money to to rent the kitchen sometimes. Right. Uh, so that's a certification. You know, obviously you're collecting sales tax. You got to get a New York state tax ID, those sorts of things. Um, and, um, and then we researching the name too, which was, uh, you know, to get a DBA doing business as, or, or, you know, when you, when you set up a business and you get a tax ID, you know, we're doing business as Syracuse Salt Company. So we had to research that to make sure the companies that do that research that to say, hey, is there another Syracuse Salt Company around that you're going to be infringing on their name? Right. Um, come to find out there was a Syracuse Salt Company, and I think it closed shop in 1920 or something like that. Wow, so back that the name far. was available. Yeah, well, it, you know, that was after the fact, but it was available, but it was after the fact we went back looking through some salt company names and there was an Onondaga Salt Company and a Syracuse Salt Company, but they, they've long since gone. Which all goes back to the history of salt in this area. For people listening, central New York and specifically the Syracuse area, there is a lot of um, brine wells. It's the, the aquifer is, is very briny. And there was a period in history mm-hmm. where uh, there were huge 
uh, salt fields here where they would bring up the brine and put it in, what do they call those things, the big drying chambers, right? Oh, yeah, they had the um, the, the vats. There's a the salt museum up in um, um, in Liverpool's got a good, good example of the the big um, the big cast iron pots that they evaporated. They yeah. would boil the yeah, they evaporated. I mean, that was yeah, it, it went through two different ways. It was the boiling, um, and then uh, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the names of all the all what they used to call them. Thus. And then they did some solar. Yeah, 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 they had the solar evaporation houses too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was a lot cheaper to a lot cheaper to produce salt with the sun uh, than it was to use wood. Yeah, and then they used coal for after that. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to to some of these places because if you live in Central New York, the Salt Museum is actually a pretty interesting place. I don't think it gets much traffic, but it should because it's a big part of the history of this area. So. Yeah, it's, uh, they you know they, they renovated it a number of years ago, and, and I visited a few times. I they're not open last I knew during the week, so you got to go there on a weekend. And it's only it's only serviced by volunteers. Uh, it's county run, so you know it, it does it, it does um, a good justice, a nice justice to the salt industry. Unfortunately, they don't they don't run it often enough so we can see so i I did have stopped in there a couple times to ask that question and see if that's something they're going to do because we definitely would like to be involved in that yeah but uh i haven't been able to really make much progress so i'll keep working on that yeah Um, but yeah big deal that was that that was syracuse yeah that and like you said hops i mean this area this god all over the place in central new york a couple of different counties was huge in the hops industry so with many, yeah. many brewers in Syracuse. And we were a pretty happening town around the turn of the century. <laughs> and then oh, Allied, yeah. that Allied I mean, Chemical happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the um, <laughs> Allied Chemical, I know. But, you know, Allied Chemical grew be, as a result, you know, solve a process as a result of the salt and of the salt. Right. And the brine in, in Tully, mostly, and around here. You know, they were after the soda ash, mm-hmm. but uh, which is... Which, which is in the same, which is in the water, as well as sodium chloride. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so there's a lot of that other business. And then, you know, Kraus Heinz and these people were, the people that started these businesses all knew each other and had interest in other businesses. Yeah. So, you know, they were all partnering in different businesses. So it was, it was kind of interesting how it all, how it all intertwined. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about uh, blocks or slabs. Now, what exactly is that? Because you can cook on those, correct? Yes. Uh, Himalayan salt comes from Pakistan, and southern end of the Himalayas. And this is from an ancient sea that was buried by, you know, centuries and centuries of mountains. And um, now the Himalayan salt is harvested out of the mountains and formed into different sizes and shapes and, and different things. Himalayan salt is typically pink and a little white. There's some darker darker colors in there, too. But what uh, what the slabs are is, is basically what we use is an 8 by 8 by 2 inches thick slab. Okay. Um, and w- what we use them for and what we sell them as are 
cooking tools. So you can season on them or you can cook on them. Uh, the the cooking thing is a really interesting thing. You you know you put this on your grill on a stove top um, in a pan in an oven, warm it up, and then put vegetables. Um, you can grill fruit on it. You can grill meats on it, chicken, and you, you bring the temperature of the, of the slab up to 150 degrees little bit at a time up to yeah. about 450 to 500 degrees and then slap your food on there and it cooks it. And it, it and the, the most interesting thing that I think about it is because people will say it doesn't, don't things get too salty and some things will get too salty if you leave them on too long, oh. but most don't because the, the moisture in the, in the food is what, is what dissolves the salt. Right. Most of the foods that, that we cook on it don't have a lot of moisture in it that's released through that cooking process, like like a steak. Mm-hmm. Throw a steak on there, the fat doesn't dissolve the salt so that much. The juices begin to, and so it, it se- seems to season it almost perfectly. It's like magic almost. Wow. I gotta tell you, it's like magic. Okay, I need to try uh, this yeah, and, and you know, I'll I'll do two things. I'll leave one on the grill, but I'll have one in the house. So if I'm doing the, if I'm doing a pork chop or a, a steak, I'll I'll just put put it on cold for you know 15 20 minutes, flip it over for 15 or 20 minutes, and then just throw the steak on the grill. Mm-hmm. So I've seasoned on it. Yep. You can season on it without you know without actually putting it on the grill, mm-hmm. or you can put it on the grill. Um, and you know. The slabs, the eight by eight slabs, are about eight or nine pounds. So it's a lot of salt. They'll last a long time yeah. by doing it this way. Yeah. And then when you're done with that, you rinse it off, wipe it down, let it dry, and put it away. Pretty simple. Neat. Yeah. For those listening, one of the things that salt does is when you like when you're making a steak or something like that, and you're not using a salt slab, you season it. What the salt does is pull out some moisture, and then when you cook the steak. That moisture goes through, it's called the Maillard reaction, I believe it's called. Um, and that is where you get your sear. It's not actually browning anything, but it's pulling the moisture out, but it's also pulling flavor back in as the temperature or as the, as the protein cooks. And then when you let it rest, it pulls all that moisture back in. That's why you let something rest for carryover cooking and for mm-hmm. pull the seasoning back in. That's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to have to try that. Yeah, yeah. And it- it, it's, you know, like I said, when I say it's almost like magic, it is. Because you think, I'm cooking on this slab of salt. It's going to be salty. Mm-hmm. And it really isn't salty. It's you, you definitely taste the salt, which is what you want to do, mm-hmm. because that's the flavor in there. Um, you know, things like, and I will say scallops and, and thinner fish, you, you got to be a little careful with that. Um, just like any cooking, you know, a little experimentation is helpful. Yep. So... Scallops are difficult to cook in general, and they've got a lot of moisture in them. Mm-hmm. So you may want to cook the scallops on the slab for halfway, and then take them off and cook them in the pan. Okay. Same thing with some thinner fish, you know, tilapia or flounder mm-hmm. or perch or something like that. You may want to just do a little bit on the slab and a little bit on the pan. Yeah. Uh, or a grill, whatever, just so you don't get too much salt. But play with it. That's that's the fun part of cooking, I think. Is oh yeah, is a little experimentation. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, like anything else that you do, you know, we, we expect that geez, 
I know how to make toast. I've been making toast for, you know, 30 years. But when you make toast on a different thing other than a toaster, it takes you a couple times to get it the way you want. Yep, you got to burn some of um, it. Sometimes we, <laughs> yeah, sometimes we expect when we when we start with something new like this, we can we can figure it out pretty quickly, and it's and we got it in the first try. It doesn't always work out that way. You got to experiment a little bit and, into what works best for you. So, uh, you know, I'm we, I'm going to move on to the thing that actually you got me interested in talking with you about because. Uh, Dave and Libby have a new product that's just hitting the market, and it is, uh, I'm going to call it finishing salt or flake salt. Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit about that uh, and, and the history oh, yeah. and how that whole thing got started? Because that's, really, a, that's, a, yeah, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, most exciting as far as I'm concerned. When, you know, when, when I mentioned that Libby came back with some sea salt, and I said, you know, this is a salt city, and... Um, did a little more research. I mean, I grew up in Syracuse, so I you know, was always around and salt potatoes and all that. But um, so I started researching a little bit about salt in Syracuse and uh, had a couple conversations with a geologist uh, from the USGS in Ithaca who wrote, basically wrote the book, I guess, on, on the salt industry and, and uh, the geological part of salt. So learning a lot more about it back in, you know, a couple of years ago, I said, we should be, we should do this. We should try to make salt again. And again, trying to reach into that creativity part of me that sure. needs to come out every once in a while. So I did a little research, come to find out, you know, I went to a seminar a long time ago and, and there's a fellow from the Department of Transportation there saying, yeah, they use salt from, um, from a well that they have, the state does, and they treat the roads in the winter with it. So I had that thought, and I couldn't figure out where that was because it was so long ago. But I started researching a little bit and come to find out this New York State actually has a brine well in Syracuse that they pull salt out of. They mix a little more salt in it to make it a little more concentrated, and they spray it on the roads in the winter. So when you see those little lines in the road of a truck that dumps salt, that's to de-ice the roads. Yep. So... I found out where that was, and I was in touch with a couple different people. Long story short here, I guess, is that I, I got a sample of the water and, and evaporated it, you know, boiled it down, mm -hmm. and, and I got a really, really nice salt out of it, table salt. Sent it in for testing at a food lab uh, to see, make sure there was nothing nasty in it. And, uh, and I'll talk about that in a second, but the... It came back very clean, very nice, not bitter, really nice salt. I said, well, this is what people were doing 150 years ago. So that kind of got me more excited and uh, started going a little deeper into how can we do this. And, um, you know, again, more research on how it used to be done. And and we finally we, we, we finally found a spot near the inner harbor that if you look back on the old maps, this is where the salt sheds used to be for solar evaporation. Where you are now? South of Onondaga Lake. Where we are now, yeah. So we're on Plaskai Street. We're not far from the lake. We're not far from the mall. We're not far from the inner harbor. And this is where the salt sheds used to be when there was all solar evaporation. So what you were talking about, uh, uh, pulling salt or water out of the ground, uh, they would put them in these big greenhouses and 
you know the the roofs were the roofs were slidable so they would they would open them up when the sun was shining and then when there was a thunderstorm coming through somebody ring a bell a whole bunch of people would come <laughs> running out of their houses and and pull the you know pull the roofs back over so they wouldn't wreck all the time they had into it and then uh you know when the rain stopped they'd push them all back and it took i don't know how long it took cuz Sun doesn't shine in Syracuse as much as we'd like to, as much as we'd like it. Yeah, to. that had to take forever to do that. Yeah, it had to be weeks and weeks. Um, so we didn't really want to rely on the sun here. So, uh, um, and the, and I'm not that patient. You know, I, I don't think I can wait six weeks for salt <laughs> to be produced and then you go find out it's not exactly what we want. Yeah. You know? So we're we're doing it a little bit differently. We're heating the water slowly, and. Um, it takes about three or four days of um, so still a lot a lot faster than sun right but uh, so it takes about three or four days to evaporate the water off and then another couple of days for the sun to dry out the salt and we're doing it that way when we can since we got some sunshine right um, because it it just seems to hold the flakes better when the sun does the work okay so that's so, so what we were able to do anyway, and I, I kind of got off the track a little bit, is we we were we were able to drill a well in this area, and again through discussions with the uh, uh, with the geologist and looking at the old maps and things like that, and say, you know, everywhere under us is salt. Right. So the in the in the 1700s, there were a lot of artesian wells, and artesian wells meaning that the the water came to the surface. Right. And because the water moved from the south to the north, moved to the lake, as it went, as it goes along underground, it dissolves the salt in the ground through the, in the rock layers, mm-hmm. and then you know dumps into the creek or you know moves its way up through to uh, to Lake Ontario. And um, so, what the old in the old days, some of these wells. <coughs> come to the surface and then they would just pool this up and then you know pipe it to um, either the um, either the the salt boiling places or the um, the houses we're going to take a little commercial break here to remind you that we have a YouTube channel and there's lots of cooking gardening and DIY fix it stuff over there also don't forget if you shop local that's a wonderful thing because you're supporting your community. But if you shop on Amazon, you can do us a great favor by going to our website, Clean Slate Farm, clicking on the link that takes you to the Amazon site. And anything you purchase through that link, we get a small commission. It helps support Clean Slate Farm, helps us buy new equipment, and pays the hosting fees for the website and uh, the podcast. So that would be a great help if you did that. Let's get back to talking to Dave. Thanks. I never thought about the fact that the salt, the water does go from the south to the north because it's all going to Lake Ontario. Everything feeds into the lake. Yeah, yeah, it, and that, that was the biggest concern. Going back to the safety thing and the and the testing, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've heard, "Well, who wants to have salt from from Onondaga Lake, the most polluted lake in the country, a few years ago?" Yep. And I said, "Not me." So we're not the water that we're getting. It comes from a from a well. That is 280 feet deep. Wow! By the way, Onondaga Lake is Onondaga Lake is about 60 feet deep. Yep. Uh, so we're 
you know, we're 220 feet deeper than the lake and we're south of the lake. So the water that's the, the water that we're pulling out actually comes from the south. And as it comes through the rock, dissolves the salt, we're picking it up. Some of that water continues on to the lake. So we're not getting lake water. We're we're getting we're getting groundwater. Yeah. Uh, which is where so many people in this world get their water from mm-hmm. anyway, is from wells. So that's where we're getting the water. And when we had it tested, we tested, we had it tested for, the first thing was for a, a heavy metal panel, lead, arsenic, cadmium, and mercury. Again, those are the bad ones. Mm-hmm. And it's a food testing lab, and it came back that it didn't even show up on their scale. So pretty pure. Though. None of that stuff's in the water. Yeah. Pretty pure. We're, we're working on a, to get a full panel on all the minerals that are in there. You know, we, we do have some there. Um, there's, there's a little bit of iron. There's a little bit of, of potassium, obviously sodium chloride. Mm-hmm. But those, um, those are nutritional so we're, we're, elements anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Those are nutritional elements. There's no iodine. We haven't tested for iodine. So I'm going to, but I'm going to say that we're very likely there's no iodine right. in there. Uh and that's been a that's the, been the big concern in the 50s with USDA saying that we're not getting enough iodine in our diet, so they're going to put it in our salt. Yeah. Um, but they haven't changed those those things. We're getting more iodine in our in our diets now than we ever did. So it's iodine in your salt is not as important as it used to be. Right. Um, and iodine you know, was for what? It, well, not and it helps I, it. It helps prevent clumping. I know that, but also for the diet was what? Well, goiter was a big deal. That's what it was. Yep. Um, yeah, and and again, I don't. I did actually look this up a while ago. You know how often is that? It still happens in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, we're we're eating things now that um, that we weren't eating in the fifties when they developed these standards. Right. You know things like shrimp, seaweed. Uh, cranberries, you know, some of the things that that we weren't eating a lot of back then, we're eating now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so it, and we don't need a lot of it. But some fish contain, you know, if we're eating, we're eating way more fish now than we ever did because before we couldn't get fish because you know it was we we're living in the middle of the state. Right. But now you can get fresh seafood almost any day. Um, any other, some of the processed foods that we get, like breads and cereals and things. They use iodized salt and some of those. Mm-hmm. So we're getting them through there too. Yep. But you know we're not getting we're we're not getting it in this salt. But we're not using this much salt, and we're getting it in the other things that we're eating. So yeah, that's not as important as it used to be. Yeah. Now, and we're not going to add that to our salt. We're, we're not going to do that. Right. Yeah. Now I've tasted your salt. <clears throat> Excuse me. You gave me. Uh... A little sample of that stuff, and I—it's phenomenal. I mean, I've tasted salt because I cook and, and have cooked, and we've had all kinds of salts. And that salt is as good as anything that I've tasted from France or you know the the whatever it's Ireland, England, Scotland, mm-hmm. the salts. And the stuff is phenomenal. It really is, and it's a complete different taste. And it's flake salt for those listening. Uh, if you put like table salt out of your mouth, you get one taste. If you put flake salt, you get another taste. And it's the way that it melts on your tongue and your receptors take it in. Uh, makes all the difference in the world. No, I'm glad to, I'm glad to hear that because I, you know, I'm, I'm a little biased. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, 
we do we do a lot of natural sea salts here too. We you know we have um, salts from Sicily, Tropani. We have salts from Australia, Guatemala, uh, Brazil, England, and France. Mm-hmm. So we've got other in the Himalayan salts. And, you know, and I know salt is a commodity. You know, salt box, salt can't be that different. They all are. Oh, different. it's different. Yeah. And you're right. How how it how it. Uh, I'm going to talk about kosher salt for a second. You know, kosher isn't that isn't necessarily that it's, um, that it's that it's blessed or it's been done under kosher. Kosher salt is the size. Mm-hmm. The um, kosher salt is one of those things where you where where people needed to get the blood out of the meat before they ate it. Right. That's that's the religious thing. The 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 finer the the flaky size and the size of the of the of the flake determined how quickly that blood would come out of the food or out of the meat. So the size is what kosher is. It's kosher is the size of the flake, and the the our flake is right about a kosher size right now. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it 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 does the same thing, and, and it's again with the, with the size of the flake affects how we taste things mm-hmm. the sh- the longer it takes to dissolve or, or i'm sorry the longer it takes to evaporate the water the nicer the flakes are mm-hmm. so back you know again doing research back in the in the mid 18 late 1800s there were different different grades of salt that some companies in this area would have one was a dairy salt um ran in the bags and it, i think there's something at the um salt museum that shows you some of the old bags Dairy salt was a was a quickly evaporated salt. Tiny, tiny flakes. They just boiled the water and got the salt crystals out of there. That was a dairy salt, and it was used, from what I can find, it was used in, in dairy-type production, things like cottage cheese, cheeses, uh, anything that associated with dairy. Okay. Because it dissolves so quickly, right? It dissolves very quickly because it, the the, the uh, flakes are tiny. Mm-hmm. And then you got the higher end quality. There were like three different grades of salt. So the higher quality stuff was more what we're calling what we would call uh, finishing salt that you're talking about. That's those little flakes that you see on top of your food when you go to a nice restaurant, right? Um, and it and it's and it's how it how your body reacts to it. Yeah, yeah. Salt is an interesting thing. When I went to culinary school. For many, many years, Joanne and I never had salt. We just didn't use salt. Um, and when I went to culinary school, the chefs there had to retrain my palate because I would put salt on something. They'd say, season it, and I'd season it. It's like, oh, my God, this is so salty. And they would say, no, no, you're, you're missing the point. You have to season it. They had to get the salt back into my palate. And mm-hmm. when you season something properly with salt, you don't taste the salt. It just enhances the flavor of whatever you're eating. Now, finishing salt's a little bit different because you want to taste the salt because that enhances at the time and you're getting that, that salty taste on your taste buds. So like mm-hmm. on a steak when somebody puts mm-hmm. a finishing salt on it, that's intended for you to taste the salt at the same time. But mm-hmm. So salt was an interesting thing for me for many years because I had to learn how to season food properly, which I never did. And Right, and it... And a difference, and it is a difference. It tastes probably really salty at first, like I said, and then you start getting used to it a little more. And, and, and that's the nicer thing about about the less processing. 
you know, the highly processed salt that we use, that, well, hopefully that we don't use much anymore, but we're, you know, Morton's and, yep. um, and even Morton's, even Diamond Crystal and Morton's, it, it's still a highly processed salt. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they take it out of the ground, they take everything out of it but the sodium chloride, and then they add anti-caking agents and they add iodine to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the minerals in it, and that's why Himalayan is so much better than some of the other salts that we're using, and some of the sea salt is that the minerals in there, the actual sodium chloride in the salt is lower than your table salt. But the minerals enhance the flavor just like sodium chloride does. Mm-hmm. So, you you know, you may be getting, you know, your regular table salt is like 99.6% sodium chloride. Mm-hmm. And sea salts are closer to 90, 98, 96 even for like Himalayan. But that extra three or four percent are other element or other minerals. Yeah. So that does as much enhance the flavor as the sodium chloride does. Sure. So you're getting less, you're getting less salt in your diet technically, um, and you're still getting the same good. You're getting good flavor. Yep. Well, another quick lesson that I learned was that the size of table salt, and I can beat up on table salt all day, but <laughs> the, the, the size of table salt. There's, there's two kinds of table salt. The diamond crystal is actually evaporated out of the ground. They, they, take a, they, they drill a hole in the ground. They dump a ton of water in there. They let the, the salt dissolve, and then they pump it out, and then they evaporate it with a, you know, with a, in a chamber. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they process it. The other way is it's a mined product. So they, they just grind it, and this is down Watkins Glen area. They'll, they'll mine it out of the ground and grind it up into a uniform size. A uniform size, if you look at it in a microscope, are little blocks, yep. they're little cubes. So when you put that on your food, you need more of it, and this is hard to explain, but you, you need more of it to cover all your food because the, the surface area are, is tiny because mm-hmm. they're little blocks. Whereas if you use a sea salt or our flake salt is this way, when you put a piece of salt or a couple pieces of salt on your food, the surface area of that salt, because it's a flake, is covering more of that food. Exactly. So you're actually using less salt because you don't have to use as much to cover the same area. Yeah. And the best way to describe that is, is to take the top of a um, um, of a water bottle or a soda bottle. Take you know if you can visualize it, take like ten of them, and and just drop them on the table and see what area it covers. Then take um, the same weight in little pieces of paper that are flat and do the same thing. You'll see that 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 those pieces of paper cover way bigger area mm-hmm. for the for the weight. So when you're using when you're using salt and you're trying to you're switching to a better salt like either ours or a sea salt, you need to adjust your recipes a little bit. Because that if the recipe was was based in that table salt thing, you're using say you're using one teaspoon. Um, that's going to be if you're going to use the same amount of sea salt or our salt, you're probably going to taste pretty salty food. Right. Uh, so you need to adjust. You need to adjust a little bit. That I think um, uh, there's some information on there. The conversion on that you're using almost one third less in some cases, like Himalayan. Yeah. Himalayan, you're using almost one third less salt um than you would in your in your recipes than you would with using that old 
nasty table salt. Sure. Yeah. I've got a video on our YouTube channel about uh, fermentation and salt. You should never use a, a measure. You should not a measure, a dry measure. You should weigh it because different salts right. weigh different amounts. It's like if you have a tablespoon of flake salt, it's going to weigh a lot different than a tablespoon of table salt or kosher salt. And that makes a difference when you're making your brine for fermentation. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all about the weight, right? Yep. Where can people, if people wanted to buy your products, where can they buy it? Locally here, you're available in right a now, bunch of stores. Yeah. We're, we're in about 25 stores right now uh, throughout the area um, up at Hafner's and, and not everybody's got our flake yet, but we're, we're getting it out to everybody as soon as we can, as soon as we can. Uh, we're up at Hafner's up in North Syracuse. Um, as you get toward, well, Vince's yep. Gourmet doesn't have our, our new one yet, mm-hmm. but they're up that way. Um, Hot House Brewery, Brewing, everything's on our website, yep. all okay. the different places we are. Sure. Over toward Hamilton, it's Blank and 20 East and Casanova, Metro Home in Syracuse, okay. Syracuse Soapworks. So, you know, we're we're in a we're in a bunch of different places. Mm-hmm. Not everybody again is carrying this yet, but it will be soon. And if people or we're online. Okay, that's what I was gonna say. If people aren't in the central New York area, they can buy it online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We haven't gotten the, the flake on, but you know, shoot us an email and we'll we'll get it figured out. We're working on photos right now to get the website updated. Because yeah, so the flake stuff is like brand know, new, right? As of August two thousand eighteen. Yeah, yeah, we've got yeah, we it's I think the first our first delivery was last week. Neat. So um, I've been spending as much time as I can to get production up and, you know, because it takes, like I said, it takes a week to get 20 pounds. It's not something I can, you know, I think um, the Morton plant down in Watkins Glen can produce 80 ton a day. Whoa. So, um, we're not, we're not ever going to be there, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it takes us a little longer. It takes us a little longer. Yeah. You know, we need, we need a month to get 80 pounds. Yeah. Wow. That's but amazing. Yeah. Yeah, but it's fun and it and I think it's great and we'll. Uh, one thing I didn't, I'm not sure I told you about is I, I I got some water out of our well, and I brought just the water home, and made some salt potatoes with it. Mm-hmm. The the concentration of salt coming out of the ground is about the same as the bag on the salt potato bag. Um, it's the same concentration. Okay. So. Uh, we haven't quite figured out if that's going to be a viable thing for people to do. I remember my father said they used to go over Salve when he was, when he was just married, he used, they used to go to Salve with buckets and, and bring water home for their salt potatoes. Oh, wow. From Allied. Wow. From the Salve process. They had a, they just had a well right there that they, that they let people take water out of. Yep. We can do that here. Um, so I, instead of mixing salt in with water, for our salt potatoes, just I just bring a gallon of water home. I should yeah, get – what's the, the concentration there. on that? It's coming out of the ground at about 12% saturation. Okay. So that's about that's about um, three-quarters of a pound of salt per gallon of water. Okay. So, yeah, we're, we're basically getting roughly a pound of salt per gallon. It's a little less than a, a mm-hmm. pound of salt per gallon of water. So it's. Um, I should. Uh, it changes a little bit. It's about there. Yeah, bring I, a bucket. I, well, I couldn't use a bucket, but what I should do is just get a little bit of that and try it in fermentation. It'll have to be watered down quite a bit, I'm sure, but that's a high. Oh. And see what yeah. happens with a ferment on that. That'd be cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Because I think we can figure out, like you said, with a poundage, I think we can pretty sure. much figure that out. Yep. Just a little bit of math here. All math. 
Math makes the world go round. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dave, <laughs> for thanks sure. very much for talking with us today. It's been very interesting. And uh, for you folks listening, again, that's SyracuseSaltCompany.com. What's the website? SyracuseSaltCo.com. Okay. Head on over there yeah. and you'll see Dave's and Libby's products. It's a really cool company. Dave and Libby are really nice people. We see them at the farm markets all the time. And uh, just it's a cool product. And it's nice to see that happening back here in central New York and Syracuse. It's, it's, it's a terrific salt. It really is. Well, Dave, thanks again for Thank talking you, and uh, appreciate your time. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate that. Uh, We've got more podcasts scheduled. I know it seems kind of irregular, but it's something where I want to do great podcasts. I don't just want to put anything up there just to fill airspace because you don't want to listen to that. And I really don't want to produce that. Anyway, thanks again for listening. We'll be back with more episodes of the Clean Slate Farm podcast. Bye-bye.